I'm happy to be here. Very happy to be here. Um, mainly because there was a possibility that I not be here this morning. Uh, my wife is eight months and like three weeks pregnant. Um, and our son's due date is July 14th. And I figured when Jim asked, like, you know, could you preach on July 1st? I was like, this is a safe enough date. Like, you know, sure. Yeah, I can do that. At our last doctor's appointment, like, the baby has dropped. It's in place. It's ready to come out. His head's forming to being cone-shaped. And, you know, she's having contractions. You know, they're five minutes apart when she's having them, all that stuff. But they're not intense yet. Like, it's coming. It's coming. So when Evan was like, so, you know, what's your topic going to be? I was like, well, this is the topic. But just be aware of this possibility that I'm not there. Um, so if all of a sudden, like, my wife's getting wheeled out of the back and I just leave, it's not that, you know, I, I'm going, I'm going. And then someone else will take over. Jim will come up and say something nice or we can sing some more songs again because those were some good songs. I like those ones. But uh, so, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. So today we're going to look at uh, a passage in Matthew chapter 18 because I've been going through Matthew with the youth. Um, and, you know, they were learning today about Matthew, the beginning of chapter 7. Uh, today we're going to look at 18. We're going to look at the first few verses of chapter uh, 18. And because as I've been going through Matthew with the youth, I, I try to, like, just be continually reading through the gospel of Matthew while I do it, just to kind of help understand, like, where the passages that I'm looking at kind of fits within the whole uh, of the gospel. And this portion today stood out to me, and so I'm going to be sharing it with you guys. Um, Next week, we're going to be getting into the new sermon series. Jim's doing a sermon series Q&A. Questions, your questions, God's answers. So he did say he still needs a few questions. Like he's got a couple opportunities for some good questions that are out there. If you have questions, anything about the Bible or questions you've had about religion or things that you've had that you, you would want answered by the senior pastor, like, hey, I have a question about this, feel free to go let him know afterwards or you can come talk to me or if maybe your question's like, you're like, I don't want people to know that I ask. I'm the one asking this question. So if you want to write it on a piece of paper and drop it in like the offering box by the information table, someone will see it and get that to Jim uh, if you have a question. So there's still an opportunity. If you have a question, time is not too late. If you have a question, you can get one in. So today, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at verse 1. So if you are willing and able, if you want to stand with me as we read the scripture today. And it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. This is God's word. You may be seated. So the disciples come to Jesus with a question. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest? Now, if we looked a little bit in Mark and Luke's account of the same story, we get a little bit of light shed on this question that this, as we look at it here, it's like they just come to Jesus and ask this question. This was a question that they weren't necessarily wanting to ask Jesus, per se. 
this is a question. They were kind of talking amongst us amongst themselves. And Jesus, you know, overheard a little bit. Jesus had an idea of what they were talking about. Like, oh, what are you guys talking about? Like, oh. And so they asked this question. Now, they've been with Jesus now for a while. They've been with him. They've heard him teaching about this kingdom. You know, the message that Jesus is, his primary message has been to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they've been hearing about this kingdom. They've been hearing all these kind of parables and these stories, and they've asked some questions about some of them. They've heard about them a lot. And the question that's on their mind, like they asked a couple questions for some of the parables that Jesus said, like, hey, could you explain that to us? But the question that's right now dwelling on their mind is, who is the greatest in this kingdom? Who has the highest ranking? Who is the highest place? They kind of wondered where they stacked up. There's, there's 12 guys right there, even just with the 12 guys alone, they're kind of curious, like, what's the pecking order here in your kingdom? And here, we've been your disciples now, so we've got to be pretty high on the list. And I was called before that person was, so I'm probably a little bit above him. Or maybe Judas himself was thinking, like, I'm the one that manages the money. I've been entrusted with more. Maybe I'm a little bit higher on the pecking order. And the, the ranking here, where do we stack up? Have you ever done this where you've compared yourself to other people? Or ever ranked yourself or it's like, man, at least I'm not as bad as that person? Right? We, we naturally rank things. We do it with everything. We do it with food. Like if I was asked you, where's your favorite pizza place? Where's your favorite pizza place? Anybody? Anybody? Brewery City Pizza. That's a good one. Pizza Hut? Really? Pizza Hut? Okay, Pizza Hut is the greatest place, right? So, what? BJ's, right? So we all have these different, like, we rank everything pizza place because who wants to go to their second favorite pizza place? Right? We rank movies, we, we music, location destinations. If you go to Google and type in top 10, like you can, the stuff that's populated, we make top 10 lists for everything. What's the greatest? Where does it stack up? Sports, of course, are a big one for that. They're, they're even, sports are bred for rankings, right? They, they record their stats. So if I were to ask you, who is the greatest NFL team? The answer would be <laughs> the Seahawks. That's the wrong answer. The correct answer is the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Freddie Williams got it right in the first service. No one got it right, apparently. It's like some of you were thinking it. You just didn't want to say it, right? And, oh, it was said over here? Yeah. See, John knew the Cleveland Browns is the best sports team. Now, if I were to tell you that, in my ranking list of the NFL, you'd be like, huh, Matt, your team was 0-16 last year. How, uh, they didn't win a single game. How is it that they're the greatest? They are, right? And so when you see lists of people ranking things, sometimes you question, like, you know, who, who's, what's the source of this ranking, right? Because, you know, for sports, you might look at it like, well, we'll go statistically. Who's won the most Super Bowls? Who's won the most championships? Who's most consistently in the playoffs? Or who has the most blind loyalty towards their team? That one's the greatest, right? Uh, you know, it's like even with statistics, you run into this. Where, and with movies, uh, I was with my coworkers once, and we were curious what, you know, random coworker conversations where you're like, has there ever been a movie that was rated 100 on Rotten Tomatoes? And we were curious about this, so we looked it up. And Rotten Tomatoes has their top 100 list. And, you know, like The Wizard of Oz and Citizen Kane right there at the top, right? You know, it's like they have their list. And you look at it and you go, well, by what authority do they have to create this list? To rank these things. So here the disciples come. They're, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? If we're going to start ranking people and comparing people, who is the greatest? So at least they come to the right source. They ask the right person the right question. I always think 
whenever I hear this question, who is the greatest, I think of Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. Have you guys heard that? His, his poem that he's written? Some, the people with grayer hairs are the ones that are like, yes, yes. It's one of the things, I've seen YouTube videos, right? You know, I was not there. I did not experience it. But it's one of the things, his poem that he read, and the jive, and the way that he talks about it, being the greatest and moving on, it's one of those things that I always think about that. Who's the greatest? So the disciples come to Jesus, and they ask him this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do we have any children in the audience today? I was very tempted to do this last hour because Jesus pulls before them. It says in verse 2, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I have some friends visiting from out of town and we were hanging out yesterday. We went out to Lake Cushman and we're wandering around and, and and I asked his son, who's like in third grade, I was like, hey, would you be willing to be my visual aid and come up and stand up here in front of the congregation for the whole service? And he was like, oh, no, I'm going to the Sunday school class. I was like, well, it's probably a good choice. But Jesus brings before them, he brings before them a little child. And I just feel like the air in the room just kind of like deflated a little bit. Because here, here you go, you've got 12 guys. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest? What's Jesus' answer going to be? And he brings before them a child. And he's answering the question. He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Eugene Peterson in the message translation says, like, you're not even going to get a glimpse of it. You're not even going to get a glimpse of heaven unless you become like children. We're, Jesus isn't talking about the ranking now. He's talking about how do you get in the door? You're worried about your ranking, and I'm addressing the answer to the question, how do you get in the door? Daniel Harrington, in his book, The Gospel According to Matthew, he was talking about children. And children, you know, in those days, you know, like today, more so than today, children were powerless. Children were of low status, low stature, and they were completely and utterly dependent upon their parents. Now, we can kind of say that very similarly for today, like, you know, our children are dependent upon us, right? Maybe one day I will be dependent upon my children. Doesn't that sound nice? But chances are that'll be because I need them to change my diapers instead of me changing theirs. So I don't know if I really long for that day that I become dependent upon my children, but right now my children are dependent upon me, right? They have no status. They're powerless, it seems like nowadays, it seems like kids have a little more power than, you know, it's like they know that CPS exists, you know, where it's like that wooden spoon, mm-mm, not too hard, right? It's like we know we're going to call them, and it's like it seems like they have more power. But they were powerless. They were, they were of low rank. So to bring this little child up before me, saying you've got to become like this child, not that you're becoming childish, but becoming like this child would have been a shock. But he tells them there's an important part there. He says, truly, I say, unless you turn, unless you turn, this word turn, obviously it means like to turn away from. It means like to repent. It means to convert. It, it has the same connotation of what we're going to look at here in just a second, but to be born again. So unless you're born again and become like a child, you're not even going to get in the door to the kingdom of heaven. Let's go ahead and turn really quick, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 3. 
Not all of this is going to be up here on the screen, but I'm going to go ahead and start reading. John chapter 3 here in verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, secretly. He comes by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And then in verse 3 it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? No, thank you. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't enter unless you've been reborn. So the important part here is that turning. They turn. They repent. They've been born again. God's children have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ where they've said, I want you to be Lord of my life. I place my faith, hope, and trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. And then I turn and repent and I become like a little child. One that is powerless, one that is of low status and that is dependent on my father. Because if you're not like that, you're not getting in. You're not entering. You're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says then in verse 4, here he gets a little bit of the ranking more so, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever makes their status low like this child humbles himself is the greatest. Well, what does it look like to, to humble oneself, to be the greatest? We can turn just a few, a few chapters later here in Matthew 20, starting in verse 20. This time, some of the disciples, they go and they get their mother. They bring their mother. Their mother comes with them. It says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, <clears throat> James and John, thank you very much, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, the brothers want, we are able. They have no idea what they're talking about. We're able, yeah. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now when the ten heard this, the other disciples, the twelve, right, they were indignant at the two brothers. Oh, they're still worried about their rank. Where's their position? But Jesus called to him and said, called to them and said, gathers them up. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. They were indignant. The Gentiles, the great people, they, the people with power, they lorded over people. The people with this high rank of which you're, my, you know, the disciples are wanting themselves to be, lorded over people. And he says that it shall not be so among you. Because here, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Matthew 18 is kind of, is, is referred to as the, it's one of, you know, Matthew's kind of broken into sections where there's a couple different sermons that like Jesus does. The most popular one most people know is the Sermon on the Mount that starts in Matthew chapter 5. But in Matthew 18, it starts kind of this, this sermon that people have referred to as kind of Jesus' sermon on community relations. And he starts out first talking about his, his relationships between his disciples. And so the disciples here, now there's some conflict here because this question is being brought up again and your mother got involved about who kind of is the great, who's going to be sitting at your right and your left? Who's going to be the bookends next to Jesus in your kingdom? Who's going to have the seats of honor? And it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you. So if you're interested in being great, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Whenever I, I read stuff like this, I go like, I don't like the sound. I don't like the sound of being a slave. This makes me uncomfortable. Paul talks about later that like you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You can take your choice. But here, the word slave is more referring to like a bond servant or a bond slave, someone that chose to be in service to the master. So the greatest among you is going to be one that's in service to the master, doing the master's bidding, and is going to be doing it for their life. He says, even the Son of Man himself, even God himself come down in Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Of all the people that should be served, wouldn't it be God? He created all things, all things are his anyway. If anything, he's the one that we should be serving him, Right? And he himself comes down and he is the one doing the serving. He is the one doing the serving. And he's the one that is giving up his life, that is sacrificing himself, is going that ultimate measure of devotion in service for us. In service for many that will become his children. Just a couple chapters later, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And in Matthew 23, verse 11, you know, Jesus reiterates this again, that the greatest among you shall be your servant. It's hard being a servant, is it not? Sometimes, you know, it can be easy to kind of get into the motions of like, well, I serve, like I help out with a few things at church, and I do this, and I do that. I find myself, <clears throat> it's hard being a servant at home, right? As I mentioned earlier, my wife is eight months pregnant in many weeks, and she was here during the first hour, and so I said some things about her, and now she's not here during the second hour, so I can say more. Um, <laughs> but I think she can still listen. She's out here in the back. But, you know, so she's, she's eight months pregnant, and she's not really much help around the house anymore. Like, you know, her responsibility is like, I do the dishes normally, and she does the laundry. And this has been like, this is our, our marriage relationship right here with chores. Because I hate laundry, and she hates dishes. And it just so happens that I don't mind doing dishes, and she doesn't mind doing laundry. But right now, the laundry is not getting done. It's not getting done. She gets tired when she wakes up in the morning and goes to the bathroom. She's ready for a nap after her morning trip to the bathroom. And it's just like, and she texted me the other day while I was at work. She's like, 
what shall I feed the children? I'm tired. And I was like, and I was like, well, you could make them some burgers. And she's like, that's too much work. And I was like, well, how about toast? <laughs> you know, and it's just kind of like, it was kind of like, like with jelly? Like, do I have to put stuff on? Like, she's tired. She's exhausted, you know, with this. And who's picking up the slack? Is my five-year-old picking up this slack? No. Who does this fall to? Me. And it's one of those things, and I don't want to do it sometimes. And it's just like, I'm tired too. I work my full-time job. I got all this other stuff. I have a sermon to prepare for, dear. I don't have time for laundry. As long as my shirt for today is clean, I'm good. Right? Like, being a servant, sacrificing myself, putting my wants, needs, and desires aside, and even focusing just on my family, whom I love, these people that I love, it's a challenge. It's a chore. Let alone doing that for other people. Making the time for other, making the time for other people. That's difficult, is it not? Making the time for other people and serving them. Serving our church body as a whole. Serving the people that don't yet know God, that he wants. That's difficult. And there's a need for service everywhere. Evan talked about it earlier, how they need people to run. Mo, you're doing a great job back there. Great job. We need people, there's areas of service all over the place. So who's going to be the greatest among you? The greatest among you is going to be your servant. It's going to be your servant. Back to 18, it says in verse 5, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fashioned around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Drowned in the depths of the sea. So those that welcome these children into their family, that they've incorporated my children, those that are now have a relationship with me, have a relationship with God, you welcome them into your home as your family. You've welcomed me, Jesus says. You've welcomed me. You've welcomed me. But whoever, he's talking to his disciples, whoever causes one of these little ones of mine who believe in me to sin, to sin, to stumble, to fall behind, to place hindrances in front of them, whoever causes them, it would be better for him to have a great millstone, not just a regular millstone, a great millstone fashioned around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This seems a little harsh at first, too, like this, this drowning. And as I was looking into this, this was actually a form of capital punishment that the Romans would use. Uh, it was up there in regards, like, as far as how horrific it was. Like, the top two were being drowned like this by having a great millstone tied around your neck and crucifixion. Or the kind of two greatest forms of capital punishment that they would use. But whoever wanted to use, cause one of these to sin, to stumble, it would be better for this great millstone. Most people would have at the time, they'd have their own millstone. Like, you know, this, this rock that they would use for, for doing their milling. But the great millstone was normally, like, you didn't have your own great millstone unless you had a big piece of land. But sometimes you'd have to go into town to the great millstone where, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movies where you have, like, the donkey or the mule or some other poor beast of burden that's got, like, the stick attached to him and it's walking around in circles and it's treading in circles and the big rock is coming around and it's churning stuff up. That's the great millstone. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds better for it to be fastened around your neck than to you to cause one of my children to stumble. That's pretty severe. And one of the things that becomes clear 
as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, this sounds really harsh. And then you, know, you start thinking, like, I hopefully haven't done this. I, d I don't want the millstone tied around my neck and being drowned in the depths of the sea. But Jesus here, because he's talking about you caused one of my children to stumble. The value and the importance that God has placed on his children is very high. It's not to be taken lightly. They are not to be taken lightly. If we moved on a little bit farther, and even this chapter, you know, Jesus is talking about that they have angels that watch after them too. These little children of mine, they have angels. That's how important they are to Jesus. That's how important they are to God. And when they brought that little child in front of the disciples, I don't think they necessarily thought that that child was that important. There's other stories where, you know, they try to drive the children away and Jesus is like, no, bring the little children to me. Because they're children, they're of low stature. So who is the greatest? The question that they asked. Who is the greatest? In verse 4, Jesus really gives us his answer. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's part of me that goes that this is kind of one of those you go, you know, they say there's no stupid questions, but, you know, you kind of go, well, this, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Wouldn't the king be the greatest? Who's the king of this kingdom? Who's done all these things perfectly? But here it says that Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's telling them what they need to hear right now. He's giving it to them. They just asked a question about who's the greatest. There's a reason he's talking about we need to humble ourselves right here, right now. We need to humble ourselves. But who is the king? Who is the greatest? Uh, other parts in scripture, as, we've been, as you've been going through the, the gospel of Matthew, you look at it and you kind of go, well, Jesus, God himself, is the greatest. Who is the greatest servant of all? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came and he lived out the commandments perfectly, and he taught others to do so. As it says in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is talking about it, that's who the greatest is. He's lived that life. He's done that. He's followed that. He's honored his parents. He's honored his father and mother. He's loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's lived his life perfectly. Jesus is the greatest. God is the greatest. I am is the greatest. I am the greatest. I am was the name that God gave to Moses. Because the people didn't know God's name. He said, I am. I am. Tell them, I am has sent me. When Moses goes back to Israel, uh, goes back to Egypt, I am the greatest. God is the greatest. But for you, my disciples, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's one of the things that I thought was interesting. So here the disciples are worried about this pecking order. They're worried about where they stack up. Who's going to be the greatest? And here he tells them just before, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. So unless you repent, turn away from your sin, be born again, come into relationship with me, place our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, unless we do that, you're not getting in the door. But once you're in the door, 
You've humbled yourself. You've brought yourself of low stature. You're powerless. You're dependent upon your father. Once you've reached that point, he says, whoever's humbled himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Just to have gotten in the door, you are the greatest because you're his child. You've gotten in the door. Those are the greatest. To be, able, to be in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest thing ever achieved. Tons of parables, like if we kept going, tons of parables. You know, those ones you come across where you go, if, it be, if your eye causes you to sin, it's better to gouge it out. Than, and you kind of go like, wait a minute. Am I supposed to be gouging my eyes out? Or, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, you're supposed to cut it off. And you go like, wait a minute. If that was the case, there'd be a blind man with no hands standing here in front of you. Or I'd probably be in a chair because I'd have to cut off my feet as well because I've kicked my siblings before. Like, it's one of those things... A lot of these things, like as Jesus is building them up and he's adding them up, essentially he's talking about the importance of the value of you being in this kingdom is worth more than anything. It's worth more than anything. You getting in, because once you're in, you are the greatest because you are a child of God. I often find myself, like where I, I hear that and I go, I don't like the idea of being powerless because I'm pretty powerful. I don't like the idea of being powerless like a little child. Scripture reminds us that in our weakness, Christ's strength is perfected. So we might be powerless, but our Father, who we're connected to, is not. We might be of low stature. We've humbled ourselves. We know where we we line up. But we're children of the King. We're his children. We're here on this earth. We are his ambassadors to this world. We have high value. And we're utterly dependent upon our Father. And this is where I think one of the challenges for me comes because I can go through days not being dependent on God. Has anybody else ever been there? I can make it through days on my own strength. I normally know which these days are because they're the days that at the end of the day I want to kill my children. They're driving me nuts because they don't listen to me immediately when I say something. Or I'm just tired and exhausted and I just want to get them to bed and gone because I don't want to deal with them anymore because I'm tired. I can get through those days. Thank you. But those that are dependent on God, it's one of those things that's interesting with children like in our society, we really push you know, the independence. Like, we want you to become independent. One day I want my children to be independent of my finances. I want them to be independent on their own, making their own decisions out in the world. You know, and, you know, there's this, this independence mindset that we have. But here in God's kingdom, one of the signs of spiritual maturity, one of the signs of being his children is that you are dependent on the Father. How dependent are we? How dependent are you? Because that's a sign of spiritual maturity is our dependence on God. And oftentimes, as I said, I can find myself going through some days where I'm not dependent on him. I'm not dependent on him for my every needs. I got this covered. I've got this covered. But his children need to be dependent upon him. So Jesus tells us to his disciples... So how does this change their focus? How does it change their mindset? How does it change my focus? Your focus, that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's one of those things, 
is, is the little children, is the people that just get in the door. You got in the door, you're the greatest. How does it change my focus? Because I know sometimes for myself, I can be focused very much so on me. And, you know, like the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time that Jesus was dealing with, they had spent a lot of time focusing on themselves and puffing themselves up and building themselves up, becoming these quote-unquote religious elite people that stood before people in the street corners with their fancy prayers and their amazing donations to the church and all those things, and they're being, you know, seeking to be honored by people. That sometimes I can be in that boat too. I can move that way where my focus is not it's, it's not the best, or it's focused on me. Jesus' focus here that he wants his disciples to be on is that we need to get people in the door. You're worried about who's the highest, who's got the greatest ranking in the kingdom, where my concern, who is the greatest servant of all, is that we get people in the door. God tells us in, in, in Peter that it is his desire for all to be saved. He wants all people. There's no one that he's excluded that God has said, I want everybody except that person over there. I don't want them. You can skip them. He wants all of them. It's his desire that he wants all of them. There's the parable of the lost sheep that's coming up in this chapter, and he's talking about his children, that he's going to go after them. God pursues people. He wants them all. But he gave his life as a ransom for many because some won't choose him but he wants them all. So what's my focus and how I prepare? Am I interested in getting people in the door, in being part of God's mission and ministry? We, we need to just, we gotta get people into the kingdom. There's another parable that he talks about with the wedding feast. They're the parables that you know, the disciples had been hearing about just getting people in the door. We need people. God wants people. He loves people. He's the servant. He's the servant of people. He's the servant of all. He wants them all, which has been convicting for me where I think about, well, what is my focus? Has that been my focus? Has my focus been on people, on getting people to know God? Not that I'm trying to like belittle your personal devotions. Those are good. Or your prayer life. Those are good. It's focused on you. But the mission and the things that I'm doing, am I focused on getting people in the door? or just trying to help elevate their status of how they feel they stack up in the kingdom of God. Because this is a task. Becoming like a child, being dependent on God is a challenge. I want to be independent. But who is the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. We get to be in a kingdom, his children, we get to be in a kingdom where the king himself the creator of all things, the creator of heaven and earth, is our servant. That's what he's modeling. It's the kingdom that we get to be in. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of an exciting thing to me. But our king expects us to follow suit. He wants those that are in his kingdom to be servants as well. We have a lot, a lot of opportunities for service here at the church. We have a lot of, you have a lot of opportunities for service in your households. There's a lot of opportunities for service in the community. How much time are we taking to be servants there in those places? Wherever we go. To whomever we come encounter with. It's hard being a servant. But that's what he wants us to be. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. 
everyone would be doing it. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, I know so oftentimes for myself, being a servant is not always my first mindset. And Father, the, when the rubber meets the road and the practicality comes in of being a servant, it's difficult. Sometimes there are tasks and things I don't want to do or I don't feel capable of doing. And, but Father, you came to serve, not to be served. You washed your disciples' feet. Father, you did everything perfectly. You served. You gave your life as a ransom for many. Father, it's difficult to, to give our lives in service, even just sometimes to our families, but let alone people <laughs> around us, the people we don't know. Father, I, I ask that you would help us, that you would help transform our hearts. Father, I have no ability to transform my heart of my own accord. We ask that you would help transform my heart and our hearts that we would be people that are interested in bringing people into your kingdom. For that's the greatest thing in the world. Like a man that found a treasure in a field and went and sold all he had just to purchase that field so he could possess it. Father, that is the greatest thing that we can be, that we can be a child in your kingdom, that you can be our Father who loves us, that serves us, that when we blow it and we get in trouble and we're... we're our backs up against the wall, that you, you deal with it. You pay the price for our sin. You pay the price for our mistakes. Thank you for being our Father. And we love you in Jesus' name.